Hi, you're listening to What's the Schemata, a schema therapy podcast for therapists. With ISST-accredited schema therapy supervisors and trainers, Chris Hayes and Rob Brockman. For more information on schema therapy, visit our website, schematherapytraining.com. Welcome, friends. Welcome to the next installment of What's the Schemata. And um, we are very, uh, again, very lucky to have Wendy Bahari here with us. Um, and if you don't know Wendy, uh, Wendy, I would say that you're almost like a founding, like a parent of schema therapy almost. Would you kind of say that? Or, or a grandmother. I've been a, grandmother. a founding grandmother. I was going to say founding father, but that's a bit, you know, sort of sexist. I but, mean, yeah, I was yeah. there in the very beginning yeah. of the, you know, the original think tank in New York City when the model mm-hmm. was being developed. So very yes. lucky. <laughs> That's bouncing things off Jeff constantly. Yeah. So Wendy's yeah. based in the US, in, in York, uh, in, in Brooklyn? No, um, um, New Jersey? It's actually in New Jersey. In New Jersey, uh, yeah. Right, uh, pretty close to Manhattan. Yeah. 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 And Wendy was previously um, the International Society of Schema Therapy president and sort of old-time friend of ours. And we're lucky to be a part of, you know, a project. And Rob, you want to tell everyone yeah, sure. Well, actually, you know, like we should say, when this is the second time you've been on yeah. um, the Schemata. So um, yeah. now welcome yeah. back. But we thought we'd do this because we've been deep in discussions. Um, we love your work. We know you've been working on, on a few projects and getting very nuanced in schema and very nuanced about the teaching, you know, conveying different things you've learned over the years. Um and it's led to a new course. So we're, you know, we wanted to sort of give people a sneak peek of that and to, and, and, and to talk about some of the issues which are pretty cool um, for people like us, schema geeks. Uh, and the course is called Empathic Confrontation, Advanced Strategies for the Most Challenging Schema Modes in Treatment. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting one because um, it's about sort of navigating n- narcissism which is something you're known for and that you've wrote books on, you know, et cetera, and you've, you've written widely on. But actually what, what I really like about the course and some of the things we're going to talk about is, is the, the focus on empathic confrontation and you're going really deep, like you're leaning into that. What I've noticed in, in your work, as the cases get harder, you lean into the empathic confrontation work and especially the limited reparenting and the empathic confrontation. And so we're going to talk a lot about that today. Uh, and yeah, really it's a sneak peek to your your awesome course, can I say, that uh, is launching uh, in October. So let's let's do it. We're keen, guys. I'm excited. I'm, I'm really excited about the course and I'm so grateful for the invitation to be part of it. I think your platform is brilliant. I uh, love the multimodal learning concept, and I and I'm so happy to be part of it. So thanks for inviting me. You've been having such fun playing around with videos and creating content. You're a content creator now, Wendy. Yeah, you're a content creator. <laughs> I am. Yeah, How yeah. About that? <laughs> Every now and then, you know, like the young ones, um, I've got sons and daughter, you know, a couple of daughters and a son, and then my son's like, "Oh my God, you got a like on you know this many views on." you know, YouTube and, uh, you know, it's amazing to them. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's the only time I've ever been cool to my kids. (laughs) Technology makes you cool. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, let's kick off. Um, We've got, as usual, we frame things around, um, uh, you know, a few questions. 
Can can you say a few things about about empathic confrontation and and how it is and why it is that you've really lent into that a lot uh, in this work? You know, working with with very complex cases. Yeah, yeah, sure. I could say hours worth on that one question. Uh, let's see if I. Can... Well, by the way, we've got about sixteen hours of CPD coming up on that in October, so you've literally have created hours, but. Yeah, can say I'm really excited about that because it does give me, it's giving me a chance to really share this elaboration on this basic strategy that started back in the early 90s. We were talking about bringing empathic confrontation into the treatment room as a strategy. And this was motivated largely by our development of the mode model for narcissism because it was this idea that once you have the narrative clearly in mind, you know, you've got a really good sense of the patient's autobiography, basically, their emotional autobiography, everything that goes into those early life experiences, you have a knowing sense, you have a felt sense of the life that they live in, the one they carry, what's sort of resonating in their here and now from their once upon a time. And it's, it's this idea that once it's resonating in you, when you have a sensibility about how their world works for them, what that blueprint looks like for them, you stand a greater chance of mitigating a lot of the defensiveness, the denial, the shame, the backlash that can come with narcissists, with this sense of, I, of knowing. Even a simple thing like, I, I know it's not your fault, or I know you didn't mean to be harsh, but... So confrontation follows empathy, right? I get it, but I see it, but I understand it, but the end comes later. I see, I, I know, given what you've lived through, it just makes sense that you would be so upset and you wouldn't want to share this openly with anyone. But until we can break through that barrier, it's going to be very hard to heal this part of you. And I can help you with that. Would you so, see this as a, as a kind of a meta skill, even for non-schema therapists? Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm, yeah, because yeah, I kind of feel, you know, I don't know about yeah. you, but how do you see it? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's a posture hmm. that for all therapists has immense value that I would dare say, <laughs> you know, that and everyone's heard me use this expression, empathy is the golden nugget. I mean, there's research around this, so it's not just my my saying it, but I do believe that that state of sitting with someone in a, in a full knowing and acknowledging and that resonant experience that's happening inside of you, their life, living inside of you, suddenly you can connect the dots. It all starts to become very clear as to why these modes, why these ways of being were constructed, these parts of self, whatever it's being called in whatever model is teaching it. And so I think that ability to say, yeah, that must be really hard. And by the way, also to express joyful empathy. Wow, that must have been really exciting for you. You've worked so hard to get past that really difficult critic inside your head. And look what you did. That's amazing. But we have to be careful now that you're not whatever the confrontation might be that follows. So mm. there's empathy unto itself, all by itself. There's empathy that when combined with confrontation allows the confrontation to actually lead to something that could be quite effective 
in getting movement and flexibility in the room. Mm-hmm. Now, now, we usually see empathic confrontation in the, in the in you know working with narcissistic personality disorder, and that's where your expertise lies. You know, historically, you know, how can empathic confrontation be you know, best used for the schema therapist? You know, and and what other presentations can you see it and what other modes can you see it being applied, you think? I actually can see it being applied everywhere. I mean, I, I think empathic confrontation has the capacity to be used in a very widespread way. And some of the, as, as the title goes in this program, the most challenging issues that we face in the treatment room. So it's this idea, I think, you know, the obstacles we all face as therapists is that sometimes in our listening and trying to puzzle piece things together and make sense out of them, you know, we're trying to empathize, which means understand, which means understand in a very deep way. We're trying to do that, but we get this interference from parts of ourselves that say, do something, fix this, make it better, come up with a strategy. What are you going to do? Get out of here. (laughs) I don't know about you, but often that's the one that... And so if we can relax and sit with the knowing and the curiosity and the puzzle piecing, figuring it out, you will have this sensible framework that allows mm-hmm. all these self-defeating patterns and behaviors like detached protector modes, inner critic modes, um, self-aggrandizing, as you mentioned, Chris, these overcompensating Your favorite. Other overcompensating <laughs> modes, even surrender, these these victim modes, there's ways to be able to see them, to understand them, to appreciate them. When you're appreciating them, you're linking them with all the knowledge that mm. we have and what we know. And then we add the confrontation. But that's still the hard part for most therapists is, is the it, confrontation. Because it seems, it seems like that's something that often happens is that people kind of skip over the, em, em, the empathy piece and sort of focus on the strategy which it really isn't it's more of a mindset and a way of doing the therapy as as the primary goal you know they focus on the on the confrontation is that how you view things yeah i mean i think if you rush to the confrontation too quickly you're inviting you know the dance which is the dance of denial the dance of defensiveness of some kind of criticism or attack or dismissiveness or shutting down and so the empathy kind of helps you to bypass those typical reactions. It's not a perfect formula. You'll still get some resistance and pushback, especially when you're dealing with detached protector modes. But it is a highly effective tool nonetheless, if you're persistent. And I think you're right, a lot of therapists will go right to just to use kind of a sort of the famous line here based on our television psychologist, Dr. Phil, who will look at a patient and say, well, how's that working for you? You know, and of course, it's not working. And while that makes a lot of sense, you know, asking someone to sort of look at a behavior that isn't working well and confront them by saying, well, is it working? Is it working for you? Can feel very mm, Mm. harsh. So Mm. can you schema that up for me? So so you're going to say the same thing, but you're going to layer it in empathy. Yeah, I'd say, you know, listen, I, I can completely understand why it would be so worrisome to you that you're going to repeat the same kind of partner selection that you've been making all your life and therefore, you know, just avoiding 
relationships completely seems to be the ticket right now to a sense of safety and security. I get it. You know, it's been a it's been a rough go with so many different relationships where you found yourself feeling betrayed and and violated and and disappointed and deprived. But it's not really working for you using this route of total avoidance of all relationships, is it? It leaves you as lonely as you felt when you were young and as lonely as you've been feeling throughout these relationships. You're right. You're right. I'm going to change. Wendy, I think you're just flexing now. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because this, sort of this sort of work really does challenge, like challenges therapists' own schemas too, isn't it? I mean, obviously, we don't, I know culturally, I don't know about you, Rob, but I mean, generally, people don't tend to like conflict. And there are particular people that we work with internationally that, you know, it, this is often a real challenge. Okay. Oh, can I, I mean, say it's this? Not only that people don't like conflict, I talk about this in the program. We are not wired for yeah. this. So we're actually, we're asking ourselves to walk into the fire and to not get burned. <laughs> and so, so in a way, though, yeah. therapists are not good at this. Can, I, mean, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, are we naturally inclined to be great confronters? No. We are more naturally inclined to be nice people with compassion who are compelled to help and fix and care for and comfort. And those are all good things, too. But they're not enough to get the kind of change that's necessary with these really highly complicated types of patients. We have to be a little sturdier and firmer and more dedicated to bringing these pieces together so our patients can see that the pattern isn't working. And it enables us to launch the most you know, meaningful parts of the work, which is the emotional work. You know, to take yeah. that deep dive, that's very scary. But our brains are not programmed for that. So it goes back to this idea that we are pleasure seekers. You know, we depart from pain and we're wired for that. And that's something I'll be discussing in the program, how we can sort of get out of our own way. Now, now um, something I noticed about, about your new program and working with these really challenging cases is your focus on the critic. Yes. And and we've you know we've been talking a lot about this, and yeah. um, I'm really keen to hear more about it, um, and and why you've you've really put that in this workshop, you know, uh, a workshop on empathic confrontation. So I've I've sort of noticed this this uh, lean into empathic confrontation as a strategy in working with the critic. Can now often in our work that the classic thing is a kind of vanishing the critic, sending it away kind of stance. And then when I see this empathic confrontation, that feels a little different sometimes. Can you say more about that and contrasting different ways of approaching the critic? Yeah, it's a really pretty brand new piece of the work that I've been doing. And you and I have had some really nice talks about this. And I, I kind of come to the conclusion from my own experience and observations that I would suggest that the critic, the inner critic, which I think every one of us has in some form, in some degree of intensity, with various levels of motivational driver attached to it, meaning that I think the critic probably has a function of either trying to protect, prevent, or promote something within us. But it comes across in ways that can instead perpetuate the very schemas that we're trying not to feel. So I think the critic, when we think about schemas and modes, I think what brings them together in a voice is the critic. The critic is the voice or the captain or the instigator of these two parts that come together. So it's kind of like pick any schema, 
abandonment, yep. let's say, and a mode where um, you go into avoidance, detachment, right? Yep. And the critic would be right in the middle there. So you imagine the critic sort of taking these two parts and giving voice to this. What do you want to be rejected? You looking to be rejected again? You yeah. know, put your head under the yeah. covers. You have nothing to say of any value. Yeah. Typical. They're only going to leave you anyway. Or yeah. That and you can hear defectiveness perhaps in that as well. You can hear punitiveness maybe mm. in that too. Mm. I mean, again, we have to have the complete narrative. And the scheme you start mixing together. Yeah. So what I'm suggesting in empathic confrontation is that, yes, there are times when evacuating the critic may be the only way if it's really truly menacing and abusive and tormenting in that traumatic way and has traumatic links. But I think it's I think it's a pretty hard thing to do. I don't know that complete evacuation is really possible. Mm -hmm. But I think we can soften the volume and we can certainly install better resources for ourselves in the healthy adult modes. I do think that with critics that are not of that menacing form, there probably is more opportunity to do what I'm calling converting, converting yeah. the message of the critic into a message that is actually matching its intention. So if the intention is to promote something good, you know, I just want you to be the best you can be. Okay, yeah. well, that's not the message I'm getting. So <laughs> let's, let's cultivate a message that actually matches the intention so it has the proper impact. And that's, I'm going to talk about that in that whole segment on the critic, the idea of ways in which we can use empathy, which says, look, I get it. Your dad spoke this way to your mom every day of your life when you were growing up. Yeah. I mean, you had this in front of you, you were exposed constantly to this sort of vicarious criticism, which may not have even been aimed at yeah. a patient, but you picked it up and it became part of what your brain learned how to mimic. And so under yeah. conditions when the going gets really tough, man, you are all over yourself. It really speaks to that. There's a, yeah. I mean, there's debate where, you know, in terms of other modalities and other therapy treatments. At the moment, particularly, I think like things like internal family systems, schema therapy. There's a lot of EMDR, EMDR. Yeah. yeah, you know, um, you know, sort of structural dissociation models as well. Yeah, there was this whole debate at the moment over what do you do with this critic mode? Do you banish it to get you know, like schema historically would do that. I think it sounds like there's a middle middle way around this where it's a nuanced as opposed to sort of having to butt heads against other. And I've got to and say, I, I don't it's. I think we have to give that yeah. up. I don't think we have to completely depart from. Yeah. Yeah. When a patient needs us to stand mm. up and be an yeah. advocate yeah. against a very strong punitive parent, I think yeah. that still can be quite yeah. effective. Yeah. But I do think that then we're left in that middle road with mm. certain critics that, yeah. you know, they're 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 pretty tough characters. But if you can use mode work to interview the critic, I understand you have an intention, mm, yeah. but yeah. your message isn't being conveyed in the way that you intend. Yeah. So it's not working. And so what? So empathy and the confrontation together and so what you're talking about though is is finding the function for some of those critics yes. you know yeah. um now i always say that there are clearly those critics where the client benefits from your protection and yes. and even the banishing and all those things and we've had that experience and the client looks at you and goes oh wow you can do that yeah. like that is a really cool thing but one of the biggest questions i get asked uh in workshops training schema therapy is do we always have to send it away or is it always the best approach to send it away? So I'm really glad to hear, you know, 
some of your thoughts on this um, because it's something that often comes up. Do you, do you get that also, Wendy, in your own yes. workshops? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely, Rob. It's what kind of prompted me to think about this and yeah. also the realization that there, you know, I work with narcissistic people a lot, much of the time and so they have demanding inner critics and it's really tough for them. In many ways, it's even yeah. scary for them to completely relinquish this oh, yeah. demanding inner critic because its function is to promote achievement and success and ambition and, and safety and and safety and yeah. security and i don't want to lose my edge it's just figuring out what the price is for maintaining yeah. it at this level and can you convert it to something that mm. more so fun. understanding the function is always helpful to to challenging to converting being able to say hey i, I know i know where you're coming from yeah you know you're trying to help little jenny or you're trying to right i i kind of i get that that's always a helpful thing when you're trying to reduce its power and influence. Yes. Yeah. Now, moving to the other friend of ours, um, more sort of schema coping modes. Obviously, you know, how would you see us using empathic confrontation with dealing with something like a, maybe a detached protector mode or, you know, strong avoidance characteristics? You know, you speak to, to that? Yeah, I mean, I think we we discovered early on that empathic confrontation had enormous power. In fact, some of the old training videos that you might remember that uh, Jeff would use for teaching schema therapy and the use of the therapy relationship, which is the use of empathic confrontation in many cases, for detached modes. You know, being able to first identify that there might be a tough part or, you know, a part that is feels like a guard or a soldier or feels like they've gone into a cave, they've gone into hiding. Oh, they were just there sharing an emotion and now it got tucked away behind a wall. Mm. So we have all these wonderful metaphors for what detachment looks like. And if we just, again, go back to what we know from once upon a time, what do we know about the story of this individual that helps us to completely understand or to be curious about if we don't know yet what is it about this sudden wall that goes up whenever we hit on something tender or emotional something mm. evocative what is that and yeah i get it i get that that wall it was there for good reason mm. when you were very little and going to your mother's bedroom when you were frightened was just not an option because mm. she was depressed and unavailable so you had to learn how to kind of put yourself in a bubble and survive that was hard on a little child problem is the bubble is still wrapped around you much of the time even now that you have power right so the mm. confrontation isn't a big you know finger pointing limit setting mm. type it's just helping them to see that it's no longer helpful it's yeah. no longer the takeaway from me talking with you is that you know it's you know it's not just pigeonholed into just working with overcompensation because that would be the classic kind of thing you know we, it's multi you know sort of um multi-angular you could use this with all sorts of things you could use it with your family members you could use it personally do you wendy do, do you find it hard to get out of this mode <laughs> i think you know yeah well yeah i mean i think that <laughs> but i don't think i would want to you know i mean i just think that it's so helpful to be in a stance i see it as mm. kind of a stance mm. when we're in a stance of empathy then the possibilities for being a good spokesperson or yeah. advocate for someone or present for understanding why something is sort of weird and chaotic or something suddenly just shifted. Yeah. I mean, it can be annoying at times to people mm. around me too, 
because you know they feel like there's no place to hide. But, you know the breakfast I, table. Hey. <laughs> but I do think that you know we can get some really impressive breakthroughs, mm. and I think form greater alliances with our patients when they feel that we see them and we know them, and we're not blaming them. We are holding yeah. them accountable. We are helping them to see that they have a responsibility and that they are actually empowered to make a difference, but we don't blame. So again, yeah. we're trying to eradicate the critic underneath. It's so interesting. Oh, I was just going to say, look, what I really get like talking to you about this, Wendy, is a couple of things. Uh, a real tenderness. You know, it 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 doesn't sound like a nice idea when you first pitch this to say, hey, you have to, you know, to confront your clients and these things, it doesn't sound like the best thing in the world uh, that you want to do. But when when I hear the words from you, it 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 feels like caring. And and so when you say empathic confrontation to me, and, and listening to the way you convey this, it's it's actually almost like like a big E, like it's more. I hear words like caring and like I'm willing to 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 talk to you about this. I'm willing to you know, it feels like a caring thing. And I think that's well, that, yeah. that's a great compliment, Rob, because that's exactly what, again, if we think about intention and impact, my intent is for my patient mm -hmm. to feel like I see them, I know them, I care about them, I'm not judging them, I'm not your mother, your father, your coach, your boss, your, your big brother who used to bully you around, it's me. And yeah. I'm someone different in the room now, someone who wants to know your story, wants to know you, wants to feel your story inside of me and appreciate what it was like to be you, because that's going to help us make sense out of what's going on in your world right now. That's been your blueprint for life. And so, you know, Bohart and Greenberg, Leslie Greenberg did a lot of research on this even back in the 90s and still up till today. And they talk about how being in an empathic relationship with a therapist is already a corrective relational experience. We talk about corrective emotional experiences, which is pretty much the same thing. You know, and when you think about sitting down with someone for the first time who not only wants to know you when no one has ever really wanted to know you, maybe, or has only judged you when they've come to know you, and here you are sitting with someone who's not going to judge you, but they are going to push you a bit to take risks. They are going to hold you accountable for things that might be hurting other people and themselves. So the confrontation is not like, it's, it's not like putting someone on a chopping block. It's, it's, it's call, it's a call to action. Yeah. You know, it's a call to change. Yeah. And you're layering, layering it in empathy and care. Layering it in empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. So what I get out of that is like, it's almost like big E, little C, like this, the C is there. That's clear, yeah. but, yeah. but it just feels so caring that it's going to hit more often than not, you know, the way, the way you it comes across, you know, so that's, yeah. that's, that's beautiful. Something else we wanted to ask you about, congratulations, by the way, on your new book, uh, Deliberate Practice in Schema Therapy. I know that you've co-authored uh, along with Joan Farrell. Uh, I can't wait. I know it actually just hit um, pre-order. Uh, yeah, maybe, I just pre maybe last it. night. So yeah. uh, I'm about to pre-order it. It's uh, one of the most anticipated th uh, books for me because I'm so involved in training and supervision. I'm sure mm. you're the same. Yeah. Um, so I can't wait to get my hands on that thing and talking to you <laughs> back channel about this. You can tell I'm really excited. Um, <laughs> and I've just seen the little the little nuggets. The way you've set up your course is so cool, and uh, you know, uh, 
obviously impacted by the, the new work on deliberate practice. Can you say a few things about that? About yeah, how? Yeah, I'm going to add it. Yeah. I'm going to add well, it. First what, of all, thank you. Uh, for the average person, though, what, what is it? For the average, average listener, what, can you define what deliberate yeah, yeah. self-practice I, is? I will. I will. I want to thank you, though, for even mentioning it. I really appreciate that. It's It was a, a, um, a real labor of love, but it was fun. You know, we actually had a lot of fun writing this book because we got to just actually jump in and try things on. And, you know, when you've been a trainer, as you two have been for such a long time and worked with so many people, seen so many different skill levels and people, you know, clinicians' ability to grasp really complicated material and begin to apply it effectively, it's it's amazing. And, and it was it was fun sort of thinking through how we take for granted how hard this is, this work, that it might become intuitive for us over time, those of us who practice for a long time, but not so for someone in graduate school training, someone just coming out of a graduate school program into a professional world or internship program. So deliberate practice is a series of books and volumes of books through the American Psychological Association. We, I was invited to write this book. I asked Joan Farrell to join me. And... Um, it, it, for schema therapy specifically, they have one for EFT, there's one in CBT, I think one coming in DBT, but schema therapy, of course, was ours. The idea behind deliberate practice is to take the skills of psychotherapy work and think in terms of a very early learner and think in terms of micro skills. So breaking down all strategies, the way we sit, the way we speak, anything that's relevant to the model that we are teaching and they are learning it's done in dyadic practice. And so they liken it to things like learning how to drive a car, learning how to play a musical instrument, learning how to play tennis. You have to take it in bits and bites and very small skills and practice, practice, practice. So there's a lot of emphasis on the practice and the feedback from in the dyad from the one who's playing the therapist mm. who says, maybe a little gentler, maybe a little stronger, maybe a little slower, maybe you could be a little bit more, I don't know, I don't feel the connection. So there has to be, and the facilitator, of course, the supervisor watching this needs to be able to really encourage the trainees to be very open and reflective about what they're experiencing. It's not about criticizing anyone. It's just about this is what I would need if I were this person who was dealing with immense amounts of, mm. you know, trauma right now or, so, or fear of abandonment. So there are sort of several features of the, of a deliberate practice approach. You, you mentioned one of them, which is uh, feedback from from a coach or expert. Yeah. Yes. Um, how how well? I mean, I've often thought about this. I think schema therapy trainings are inherently meet the criteria like even traditionally in different ways um you know in other words i think we were already pretty good at this i wouldn't say perfect of course um is that the sense you've got that we, we've been doing it okay but we can make improvements to the way we train therapists in schema i think we're pretty good i think we could definitely make improvements in terms of taking into consideration learning levels and um helping individuals to kind of advance from beginner levels through intermediate level through advanced level of doing the same skill. 
it's just a matter of sort of broadening it and expanding it. So if I was teaching someone empathic confrontation, it would be, you know, we look at the list of criteria for fulfilling an exercise. We break it down into a very tiny piece and have them practice at a very beginner level, which might just be, you know, I understand you're upset, but, you know, closing down like that isn't going to be helpful. Tone of voice, eye contact, all these things taken into account, our stance, our posture. At more intermediate level might take it a little bit further, might mm. notice a shift, might make a link, advanced level even might take an even dip, more difficult case and apply the same strategy, knowing that there may be some pushback from the patient. So I think we could improve our skills by breaking mm. it down even smaller. And that's what deliberate practice does. When we offered this in Copenhagen, to a group of master, we had master level clinicians in our workshop mm -hmm. who were practicing along with us and giving us feedback. Wow, mm -hmm. this really forced me to pay mm -hmm. attention to what I was doing. This is it's, it's a little bit like to become uh, a little bit like runaway trains after a while. Well, you know, the U.S. Open is on uh, over your way at the moment, and it's it's a little oh. like this, isn't it? You kind of you know you're starting off. You know, practicing just doing forehands and then you're yeah. building up to some sort of more difficult shots and then it, it's exactly. just repeatedly forehand smashes and just yes. having a coach watch it and experience it from the recipient on the other side as well sure. so this sure. is the i know process. i played tennis too once yeah. upon a time bend your yeah. knees you know follow through yeah lean yeah. in <laughs> yeah no it's very exciting very exciting for trainers i think as well as 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 for you know supervisees you know we i've been playing around with this even in supervision sessions found that very really helpful as well just practicing yeah. particular set pieces and how has this changed your supervision like i guess that's a question for both of you Ooh. chris and 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 Wendy, has this changed your supervision style or? I think what it's done for me as a supervisor is I, I'm, I'm asking my supervisees just to stop, to, just to slow down a little bit more and pay more attention to what's the goal. Where, look at your map. What does your map look like? Where are you trying to go? Right. Pay attention. What, there's lots of strategies that may get you there. But let's think in really small bits about what might be how you're going to take that step. And I'm always asking the question more and more now, again, going back to the idea of empathy, what is the message you're trying to convey? Right? And how are you going to get that message to come across? I mean, with with a drama background, which I have, I, I know the importance of embodying a character. So I'm not asking anyone that I'm training to be an actor. I'm saying, think like an actor. Who is the character? What is the part of you that you want to convey? I want to convey someone who's caring. I want to convey someone who's safe. I want to convey someone who is warm, who is available, who's accessible, who is attentive. Okay, how are you going to do that? Certainly not with your shoulders slumped and your eye contact on the ground. You need to be really attentive to how your whole body is speaking, how your face is speaking, and the words you're selecting. And I'm going to give a little bonus piece on that in my program, which is going to be the whole sort of how we kind of cultivate that presentation in our role as therapist and therapists delivering empathic confrontation. Lovely. Now, now there's probably some themes from your work you know, in terms of working with supervisees and um, you know, developing schema therapists 
um, do you see essential themes that are coming through in terms of empathic confrontation and areas that they need you know, people generally kind of need to improve on? We, you sort of mentioned it a little before about we're not wired for this sort of thing, but, you know, is there any way that we could be, you know, be better at empathically confronting other than sort of um, you know, having a s- new skills or? It's a great question, Chris, and I think it's a you. lot of it has to do with uh, just appreciating the value of our presence. We mm. tend to undervalue the how meaningful it is just to be very present with someone. I don't mean just sitting there and nodding our heads like a mm. nice person. I mean really being actively present, knowing, making sense out of things. Again, the empathic piece is it's hard to stay with because we we start feeling like I have to do something. I have to earn my keep. I need to do something really super special. What's the next magical tool I'm going to pull out of my black magic bag today? And sometimes it's just being there, you know, just being mm. present in that knowing way. Look, I know this is really hard for you. We're going to get through this together. But it's not going to happen if we can't allow me to get a little closer to that part of you that's struggling with xyz right so it's it's that reassurance it's that understanding it's that making sense out of why it's so difficult but and we can get there there's a value in that and i think what i notice is that again the hardest part is for thera- for many therapists is just being able to stay still long enough to really create that conceptual framework it, it sounds like it's not just still in terms of you know feeling like you need to achieve something but i guess you've spoken before i think in um you know in listening with you and conversations about sort of having that sturdiness mm-hmm. you know i can see a lot of therapists having a lot of including myself having a lot of difficulty in sturdiness not in terms of i need to be doing and active but more i'm taking a lot of stuff i don't like and this is obviously kind of um you know others others in your life are yeah, experiencing this too they had to remain yeah. firm and, and that's a key point that's actually yeah. a really key point and and i'm glad you brought that up because i i think that might even be the number one interference when it comes to being um really effective masterful even in the role that it's not about intelligence it's just about Mm. our humanness and so therapists will get triggered they get triggered and i can see it even in role plays with them so my supervision always includes role plays and when we're role playing i can see it even in the role plays many of my supervisees just sort of like you know freeze because it's so uncomfortable and disconcerting to imagine Mm. themselves taking on any with you of course (laughs) So yeah, we have to work yeah. on sturdying ourselves, yeah. yes. Yeah. Look, I've been wanting to say this for a long time. Um, other other gnarly challenges. <laughs> um, in your course, there's a whole section on on sort of other modes, like other difficult modes, which which yeah. uh, you call gnarly challenges. I love it, by the way. Are you an, um, are you a, are you an skateboarder or something, or a surfer? <laughs> Or almost sort of like Ninja Turtles, like Donatello yeah. or something. <laughs> I'm hanging out with you guys too much. <laughs> you know, so so you've got, um, and I'm, you know, I think it looks looks amazing. You 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 sort of take a deeper dive into other really sticky modes, right? For which 
you really need to maybe lean into that empathic confrontation. The super sufferers, right? Mm-hmm. These are, this, is, this is what this is the, the, uh, what you've come up with. The chronically disappointed, the enmeshed loyalty mongers, uh, and the resentment slash regret trappers, right? Have I covered it all? Oh, yeah. Let's oh, say yeah. some things about it. I'm absolutely intrigued. You know, I'm actually going to do this course. This is amazing. They're hard. I mean, these are, I think, among the hardest ones, maybe even harder, I think, than the your typical overt aggressive narcissist or just your kind of stonewalling avoidant type. I think these super sufferer, martyr slash victims, I call them the virtuous victims, because they've always have something <laughs> so virtuous and extraordinary that they've done that's bigger than better than anybody else's. But they present it to you in a way that looks like they're quite vulnerable. So they could be tearful and yeah. maybe a little histrionic even in their presentations. And we can kind of fall for that as if we're already dealing with the vulnerable child. Yeah. How hard my life mm. is. It's just like, like nobody has suffered it like I have. Well, that feels very raw. But in fact, it's actually a bit of a performance for yeah. a different kind of approval. A bit of a narrative. A bit of a narrative, exactly. Yeah. And they won't let you get near it. So it's always, you don't understand. You yeah. can't understand because they don't want you to dismantle it. Either. And you wouldn't it's know this. Identity. Your identity. identity. If you're the therapist and you're, you know, I kind of talk about sometimes, you know, therapists need to watch out for, you know, being um, ex- sort of been exploited as a therapist. You're caring, yeah. you're nurturing, you've got someone crying in front of you and you. Yeah. Sure. Or worse still, you're like, let's, let's do some imagery with that feeling. Yeah. And they're in, and they're in that mode. Like they're yeah. in that sort of, yeah. as you call it, like, so the super sufferer mode or, yeah. you know, that, that's not going to necessarily go very well if you try to take that to imagery. Now, you've got to get beneath that. And you have to be, again, sturdy enough to say, mm. I can see there's pain. And I, I understand, again, think about what you know about them from past experience. You played a hefty role in having to always be the burdened child who would tend to your mother's needs. There was no room for you to be a little girl. You're right. But there's a hard no, thing here. There's a hard thing here yeah. because there's a dance yeah. because, you, you know, you can't say, hey, you, you're being a victim. Yeah. No. Well, right? you can eventually. Eventually yeah. you can. Once you've Wendy's like, I do it all the time. You have that bond. <laughs> that bond is there. You can say this has become yeah. something of an identity yeah. for you, which, by the way, and I tell this to you because it's me who cares about you. People yeah. out there are going to find that off-putting. Mm. Yeah. I understand it because I know a little girl who was taking care of her mother and had to give up her childhood. But tell me what it is you want me to know when you're telling me this. What do you really want me to know when you're telling me how extraordinary your pain is? What do you want me to know? So you really challenge them to dig a little deeper. What do you yeah, want me yeah. to carry in my mind? What do you want me to know about you? What do you What do you want me to get? What do you notice you feel even as you tell this to me? I'm so scared. Okay, scared. What's the fear? Right. So you're not necessarily at confrontation yet because you yeah. really have to first get yeah. to that vulnerability. What mode do you pin this on? Like what's your with this conceptualization? It's an approval seeking. Okay. Okay. Very good. So cool. Wendy, we uh I've really enjoyed having you here for the last forty five minutes. I'll tell you what, we're going to leave people hanging, right? Yeah. With the chronically disappointed, enmeshed loyalty mongers, <laughs> uh, the resentment trappers. We're going to we're going to leave that hanging there, and you're going to have to do the course, people. Yeah.
but there's a lot more there, I can tell you. There's so, a lot there, yeah. so this online course starts uh, in October 2022. Uh, it's a, a six-week program. It's pre-recorded yeah. and uh, available to people to um, view on demand. Um, Wendy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. Robski. Thanks for making the time, Wendy. Thanks for making the time. And we will hopefully see you soon on another episode of What's the Scamata?